Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. I remember that very, very first sermon. Still have the notes. It's not a whole lot I throw away. It's an aggravation of my wife. I think she was happy when I went electronic. That way I had fewer binders of paperwork sitting on the bookshelf. But I remember it. We had an old cordless mic that had about a four-foot tail. And I was as nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. And I was... uh, Brother Heath, I was standing there, and I was wrapping that cord around my hand or around the microphone one. And I got knee-deep into it, feeling good. And next thing you know, here come Pastor over at that time, Bishop. And he had to unwind the antenna because I cut myself off. <laughs> Amen. Uh, that, was a, that was a day or two ago. Amen. The Lord's brought us all a mighty long way. Amen. I'm so thankful for His grace and His mercy this morning. Let's dive right into the Word of the Lord this morning. If I could turn your attention to the book of Amos. The book of Amos chapter 6 in verse number 1. And then we're going to jump over to the book of John chapter 4 for a brief reading. But Amos writes, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. And trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations to whom the house of Israel came. If you'll go over now to New Testament writing, John chapter 4 and verse 5, it says, Then cometh he, speaking of Jesus, to a city of Samaria, which is called Sichar, near to the parcel of ground, that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Then there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, you Bible readers know the story this morning, give me to drink. I want to talk to you this morning. I don't don't know if I'm going to teach or preach or what you want to call it, Call it good, call it bad, call it whatever makes you happy. But I want to talk to you on this subject this morning. Being at the church is not the same as being in the church. This is a fresh word. I've never preached this subject before anywhere. I spent several, several hours yesterday in study trying to find the mind of God. This is what I feel like the Lord has laid in my heart and my spirit for this church this morning. Uh, Being at the church is not the same as being in the church. Lord bless you this morning. You can be seated. The writer Amos. Amos, according to history, was a, a lay minister. I've got a few things in common with Amos this morning. He writes and he says many things in the book after his name that are all prophetic declarations to the the country and the nation of Israel. In chapter 6 he says, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. Ease, in the biblical terminology, means not much different than what we would expect it to mean. Sha'anan is the Hebrew word for ease, and it means simply quiet, making no noise or sound. It also means freedom from labor, pain, physical annoyance. Comfort. Not much difference than what some of us like when we get into our recliner 
we get in the, the easy chair, and we want to be comfortable, we want to not have physical annoyances, we want to rest. That's what ease means. There's another word in Hebrew writing in the Word of God that, that comes from this word ease, and it means tumult. It's a little bit contradictory on the surface, but we'll hopefully close that up before we're done here this morning. But it talks about an emotional disturbance. Ease is also referred to in the Word of God as tranquil. Another terminology just for simply being at ease or unaffected by disturbing emotions. Amos 6 and 1 in the message version reads this way. Woe to you who think you live on easy street in Zion. Who think Mount Samaria is the good life. You assume you're on top of the heap, voted the number one best place to live. Well, wake up and look around. Get off your pedestal. That's a, that's a pretty... Uh, Bishop, that's a pretty straightforward uh, set of writing there, interpreting what Amos is saying in chapter 6 in verse number 1. And, and before you get uncomfortable this morning, I'm going to spend more time this morning on Mount Samaria than I am on Easy Street, all right? Uh, but I, I also don't want to take away from what Amos is saying here, uh, that he says, woe to them that are at ease in Zion. It's an important reference uh, he said it for a reason, and continuing on from that statement, Amos makes the statement in reference to this group of people that feel at ease in Zion, and he talks about them and he says, and trust in the mountain of Samaria. It's important that we focus on this statement. I'm going to spend a little time here this morning. First, let's focus on who the Samaritans were and are as a people. In the New Testament, the Samaritans were considered the inhabitants of the district of Samaria. However, long before the Gospels were ever recorded, they descended from the exchange of population from a battle of the Assyrians that took them captive, and their policy was to transfer conquered peoples among many different nations and inhabitants, which is why we understand from New Testament writing from the woman at the well that the Samaritans were considered to be half-breeds uh, because they, they were. They were scattered abroad, and they were not allowed to remain as one people. This mixed population of Samaria was never identified as Jewish by the Jews from South Israel. As far as the Jews were concerned, Samaritans, because they were half-breeds, they were not worthy. When the Jews returned from the Babylonian exile and began to rebuild the temple, the Samaritans offered to help, but they were rejected by the Jews and so they proceeded to prevent or delay the project in Ezra chapter 4. When the returned exiles again began to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, the Samaritans protested to the authorities of Persia, and this constituted an act of rebellion that stopped the work until the arrival of Nehemiah, according also to Ezra chapter 4. The Samaritans remained in their hostile attitude and actions, and then they directed that strictly toward Nehemiah in Nehemiah chapter 6. Their opposition proved unsuccessful, but the division was now complete. The Jews were on one side, and the Samaritans were a people of their own. The Samaritans were forbidden to offer sacrifices at the Jerusalem temple or to intermarry with Jews while the Samaritans built their own temple. Now, if you snooze on me here, you're not going to understand what I'm talking about later. The Samaritans built their own temple on a mount called Mount Gerizim near Shechem. There are two mountains, two mountains. Now, we have to understand something today. What we call a mountain, most people in Israel call a hill. 
all right? Uh, I learned that in an almost embarrassing fashion by talking to someone and asking them about uh, Mount Carmel. Uh, and uh, I was thinking it was this huge, huge mountain, and it's not. It's, it may be 800 feet in elevation. You can drive it with your car very easy. So what we see in the Word of God as a mount or as a mountain in many cases, not all, but in many cases is nothing more than a hill. But there's two mounts located in what used to be Samaria. Mount Gerizim, they're both referred to in the Word of God, and Mount Eval. In reference to the children of Israel crossing over to the Promised Land, which we know as Canaan, Moses selected the most prominent hills in Samaria, known as mounts, in central Canaan to use as object lessons. In Deuteronomy eleven twenty nine, the Bible says, And it shall come to pass when the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, that thou shalt set the blessing upon Mount Gerizim and the curse upon Mount Eval. Mount Gerizim, you're going to hear these words a lot this morning is the Mount of Blessing. Mount Eval is the Mount of Cursing. Standing in the narrow valley between Gerizim on the north and Eval on the south. I've got it backwards. Gerizim on the south, Eval on the north. I guess it really doesn't matter, does it? Was the city of Shechem. A city of Samaria with much significance in Bible history. And it provided the most important crossroads at this point in time. The valley between these two mounts was only 500 yards. 1,500 feet was how wide the city was. It was here, we find in the Word of God, that Abraham pitched his tent and built his first altar in the Promised Land and received divine promise in Genesis 12. It was here Jacob settled with his family in Genesis 33. It was here that Jacob dug a well, which we just read about briefly in the story in the book of John. Jacob's well. Jacob's well was dug in Shechem between these two mounts. Joseph was buried in Shechem, Joshua 24. After the exodus, the Lord commanded Israel to go to Shechem and recite the blessings and curses of the Mosaic Law. Those blessings and curses, again, blessings on Gerizim and curses on Eval, the two mounts surrounding them. In Shechem, Joshua, in Joshua 24, gathered all Israel, the Bible says, before God and delivered unto them his second parting address. I want you to get a picture of this now. There is a location, a city, it's not a metropolitan area like we see it today, but there was a city that was 1,500 feet wide in between two mounts. And uh, it was at that time Joshua gathered all Israel. Well, how much is that? Well, uh, some historians say that all Israel numbered into the four or five million number when you count men, women, and children. You've probably got animals too. So there's... There's a lot of people there, Brother Terry, in a very small area. In 1879, a man by the name of J.W. McGarvey, in a tour of the Holy Land, visited the site of Shechem. And during his time there, he and his constituents conducted an acoustical test. And they verified that the valley between Gerizim and Eval, the location of Shechem, was a natural amphitheater. As such, it was verified that when Joshua addressed all Israel, again, millions of people, that he was able to talk to them and give a public address speech without the assistance of the Levites. It was one man speaking to millions of people, able to lift his voice and they could hear him. Now that's the kind of God we serve today. That's, that's a miracle in and of itself. Don't you think that God designed that on purpose just for the occasion that would come whenever Joshua would need to speak to Israel? Well, what's that got to do with me? Let, let me just step outside my notes here for just a minute and tell somebody today that God knows your end from your beginning and God knows what to put in your path 
He knows how to set up your future. He knows what you're going to need tomorrow. And He knows how to equip you for that need. Somebody say amen. Amen. Shechem became one of the cities of refuge in Joshua chapter 20. Regardless of all of the powerful things done in and around Shechem, the people of Samaria adopted their own doctrine, which made the hostility between them and the Jews much worse. They believed, Samaritans, now, this is not what we believe, all right? Uh, I don't want anybody to get confused this morning. We do not believe this, but the Samaritans then and the Samaritans that still exist today believe that the binding of Isaac was on Mount Gerizim, not Mount Moriah. They believe that the holy site of the temple was, on, was built originally on Mount Gerizim and not in Jerusalem at Mount Moriah. If you look it up on a biblical archaeological map, you will see that they are nowhere as close together. So it's not like somebody just got their heels mixed up. All right, These are two distinctly separate geographic locations. In light of this belief, the Samaritans placed, and they continue to do so because they still exist today, they placed all of their faith and their belief in the location of Mount Gerizim because of their perception of the blessings and the holiness of this location. They felt that they must be close to it and worship God on Gerizim. However, we must understand today, and this is, this is setting up my point this morning, the Samaritans were not focused on their worship to God. The Samaritans were focused that they could not worship God unless they were on Gerizim. Their, their, their passion was not toward the God they served. Their passion was on the mount. Their, 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 their loyalty was not toward God. Their loyalty was toward the mount. Their loyalty was not toward the blessings of God. Their loyalty was perceived that I am blessed by God because I'm on Gerizim. Are you with me this morning? Moving now over to our New Testament scripture text. We find Jesus at the well that Jacob had dug 2,000 years prior to this conversation. And it is in the city of Shechem. And a woman is there to draw water and Jesus asks her for a drink. I, I, I hope I've, I've done some justice so far to illustrate for you that the Samaritans and the Jews didn't like each other. The Samaritans and the Jews didn't really want to have anything to do with each other. You know, we, we talk about growing up in, in Sunday school class, they teach us the story of the Good Samaritan. And, and, and what, this, what this, these facts reveal to us this morning is that the Good Samaritan was not called good because Samaritans were good. The Good Samaritan was called good because it was a shocker to everybody that he actually did something good. All right? That's why he was referred to as the Good Samaritan because from a Jewish perspective, there weren't any Good Samaritans. All right? In John chapter 4, we're continuing now with, the, with the, the, the reading of the word of the Lord. And then saith the woman of Samaria, in verse number 9, unto him, How is it that thou being a Jew asketh drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? She knows the history. She knows that she's a Samaritan. She knows what's going on culturally between her and the Jews. For the Jews, she says, have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest ask of him, and he would have given thee living water. Let me pause right there and just say this morning that whenever it comes to our salvation, and whenever it comes to Jesus, he breaks all cultural boundaries. He breaks all racial boundaries. Amen. I, I realize I'm in Mount Carmel this morning, but the Word of God's still true. He breaks all racial boundaries. And if we can't come to church, hear me this morning, if we can't come to church and allow God to break racial boundaries in us, then we're not as saved as we thought we were. He 
doesn't care what you're born with. He doesn't care what your skin color is. He doesn't care what country you come from. All he knows is that he loves you. He died for you. He rose for you. And he will give you Holy Ghost power. None of that matters to God. So here's God robed in flesh in the man Jesus Christ. And he's sitting in front of her and he doesn't care about the culture. He doesn't care about the history, cultural references for thousands of years between the Samaritans and the Jews. He's just telling her, hey, 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 give me something to drink because he knows he's got something to offer her. In verse number 11 he continues on, the woman saith unto him, sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. She's confused. He's asking for water but he don't even have a cup. Praise God. And the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself? You've got to understand something. Israel and all of the people and, and cultures within it They idolized Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses, for that matter. And if you read in writings for Christianity, in Judaism, and the Quran in the Muslim religion, you will find references to Abraham being the father of all nations. Alright? So all peoples in that geographic area believed in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That was nothing new for them. So here is Jesus. And he's, he's saying things that just, they sound off at this point because she's got her walls up. You ever, you ever had somebody come and talk to you that you really didn't know what their interest was? What, you know, like the, 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 the insurance salesman that comes knocking on the door. I don't think they do that much anymore. They get shot. But used to, used to, they come knocking on the door and wanting to sell you something. Or the vacuum cleaner person that wants to, I had one of those come knock on my door years ago. I didn't think I was ever going to get rid of him. They knock on the door and you're wondering what, what's the punchline. Too good to be true. Why are they here spending, the, why are they offering this to me? This woman is still, she's preserved in her mind. She has to be wondering, what is Jesus talking to me for? She says, art thou greater than our father Jacob, verse 12, which gave us the well and drank there of himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, whosoever drink of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. We know as the readers of this story and the onlookers of the story, we know that he is talking about salvation. We know that he is talking about eternal life. But she didn't know this at the time. She sa- he says, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Now, it starts to get interesting. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Now, I I haven't read every historian's account of this, but let me just give you Mason chapter 1, clause 5. I am not convinced at this point that she understands he's not talking about natural water. I'm just personally not convinced. If you are, that's fine. I'm not going to split hairs with you on that theology. I just don't think she understands clearly. I think she just she's buying into the offering. I think she's buying into the idea that he has something to give. So it's just, give me this water. Let me drink. I don't know if there was sarcasm or sincerity, but either way, she said, give me this water that I thirst not. Jesus saying unto her now, go call thy husband. And come hither. The woman answered and said, You Bible readers know the story. I have no husband. She's only trying to give him what she wants him to know. Lord, how many times have we done that? And he says unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands. 
And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly. Now, the woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. She still doesn't really know who Jesus is. But he's starting to make a spiritual connection now. Because he's read her mail. He's told her things that she knew that he couldn't know. So I think at this point he's got her attention. But let's look at the wording of verse number 20 this morning. Because this is what ties us to Amos chapter 6 and verse number 1. And when I read it last night, it screamed at me. I had never read it this way and I had never understood the connection. But Jesus says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. Now the reason why those words are powerful there, remember, he's in Samaria. Okay? In the earlier portion of John chapter 4, Jesus was going somewhere else, but he said, I must needs go through Samaria. He, he, there was something pulling him to Samaria. This is the, this is the pull. And so Jesus is in a city that, that is the New Testament era city of the Old Testament, Shechem. He's standing at Jacob's well between Gerizim and Eval the two mounts that are mentioned in Deuteronomy and in Amos. So now Jesus said, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. What mountain is he talking about? He's talking about Gerizim, the Mount of Blessings, the mountain that the Sumerians believe was the site of the Holy Temple, the mountain that the Samaritans believed that they, they had to worship there, the place that they idolized. All right, Everybody say amen if you're with me. So, and he says, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. This is the woman talking now. Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers, she's talking about the Samaritans. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And you say, Jesus, you're saying, because you're a Jew, you're saying that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Because if you understand anything about this culture, everything is about the letter of the law. And everything is about the writing. And if it says that you're to worship here, you don't worship over here. You worship here. Say amen. You say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain, alright, this is where he's breaking the cultural divide, nor yet at Jerusalem. Jesus was a Jew, but he was not following the policy of the Jews. Worship the Father. Verse 22, you worship you know not what. He's saying, woman, you don't even know what you're worshiping. All you're doing is following the letter and the policy of your forefathers. And they worried more about the mountain than they did the God of the mountain. So you don't even know what you're worshiping. We, speaking of the Jews, he says, we know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father. In spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit. He continues on. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto Him, I know that Messiah is come, which is called Christ. When He is come, He will tell us all things. And Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am He. The story has powerfully unfolded at this point. Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4 shows the division between the Jews and the Samaritans. The disciples were amazed even among themselves that Jesus was even taking time to talk to this woman. The parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10 reveals this division further because a Jew could not think of a Samaritan acting charitably. In many places, though, in the New Testament, it speaks favorably about the Samaritans because they received Jesus' ministry and were among the first people who believed in Him. Here's what I've come to talk to you about this morning. If we are not careful, we will get too comfortable in the church. Oh, yeah. 
There is a direct connection between Amos saying, Woe unto them that are at ease in Zion and trust in the Mount of Samaria. And there is a direct connection between that and it is John chapter 4 when Jesus brought salvation to the woman at the well because it was in that mountain that she trusted. It was in that mountain that her forefathers trusted. And if we are not careful, we will worry more about the church than we will the God of the church. Come on now. We are Pentecostal in experience and we are apostolic in doctrine. And if we don't understand what that means, we need to figure it out. Because the world does not need another church where they can just come and be comfortable. The world, Mount Carmel doesn't need another church to add to the 40 churches that she's already got that's just status quo like everybody else. Mount Carmel needs a church that has the God of the church in the church. We're not here to worship this building. I'm not here to get comfortable in this building. I'm here to worship God. And if salvation is of the Jews, and if I have been gra grafted into the vine through the power of His name, then I know that salvation rests in His house. I'm not here to worship the house. I'm here to worship the God of the house. But we've got to understand something this morning. That if we, if we, if we are happy, I, I'm not, I don't want to be critical but let me just be transparent with you this morning. If we are happy coming to church, and that's all we're happy doing, then we might as well be on Mount Gerizim. We're no different than the Samaritan at the well. Because we've lost our experience somewhere. God wants us coming to church for an experience. You can, you do anything, anything in life enough, you get accustomed to it. Anything. Bishop, when he was a mechanic, and I'm sure he still possesses the ability, could probably look at a bolt. I'm a little out of my depth here, so... I get something wrong, just go with me. But he could probably pop the hood on a car, lift the hood, and look at the engine. And he could, if he knew what was wrong with it in whatever area that is, he could look at it. And if he needed to take something apart, he could probably look at the bolt and say, That's a half inch. That's a nine, am I right? That, Hey, 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 son, give me that 9 sixteenths. Because he doesn't work on anything that's millimeter. I know he's only on the, on the English system. So, uh, get, son, son give, me that, give, me, give me that one quarter inch over there. Uh, I need to take this bolt off. Now, he got that way by practice. He didn't, his first day in the garage or his first day out in the field with John Deere. See, I pay attention a little bit. He, he, he didn't just start out. I don't think he was born with the ability to just look at a bolt or a nut and know its precise size. He got that through experience and through doing it over and over and over. I know Brother Fred... I have been in present company with him before when he has looked at an automobile that is driving down the road. And I have actually made the statement before, ooh, that was a nice looking car. And he has said, oh, that's been in a wreck. Aggravates the daylights out of me. I stopped going to him to ask him what he thought about a car I was going to buy because I went away deflated every time. Well, how do you know it's been in a wreck? Well, because the quarter panel's been replaced. Are you serious? Hood was red. Bumper's red. Quarter panel's red. Red's red. Not to him. There's probably 4,000 hues of red. 
And he has the trained eye of being able to look at it and know if it's been, and again, I'm still out of my depth here, but whether it's been faded right or painted correctly, I don't know what terminology he uses, but he knows if it's right or wrong. I trust that he knows whether it's right or wrong. That's why all my cars go to him for paint jobs, because obviously red is red to me. But unless he was born with it, and I just don't know it, he, he didn't just wake up one day and, and have that ability. It came through repetition and knowing, knowing it. Uh, I, I, I used to, I'll talk about myself for a little bit because I can get back to my own depth. But uh, working in the automotive industry, there are part numbers and account numbers and different things that I have used over the years in various jobs. Two or three jobs ago, I can still quote you a part number that I used to buy from Japan because I used it all the time. All the time. And it was a high runner. It was a recliner mechanism to a seat. And I knew exactly what it did, why it did it, where it come from, what the part number was, and I didn't need to look at a piece of paper. Why? Because I, I dealt with it all the time. Right? We could go through everyone here this morning, and some way we could find some, some theme of something that you have done in your life, and because you've done it so much, you could just about do it with your eyes closed. Repetition. Because you're accustomed to it. It's easier for you. Here's the danger, ladies and gentlemen, is we bring that same type of, of workings in our life into our relationship with God. And we come to church, and here's what happens. We come to church, and the first little bit that we're here, we're excited to be here. And we're happy to be here. And it doesn't really matter what anybody thinks. I'm going to stand. I may not even be clapping on beat, but I'm going to clap my hands because it feels good. I might tap my foot just a little bit because I like what it feels like, and I'm enjoying what's happening, and I like how I feel when I come, and I feel better whenever I leave after having been here. And all that's great, and it's new for us, and it's exciting. And then we continue to come, and we come over and over, and I hope we come over and over, and we continue to come over and over again. But what we're in danger of, ladies and gentlemen, and this, I believe, is part and parcel what Amos was trying to tell us in chapter 6 when he addressed the people of Israel and said, Woe unto them that are at ease in Zion, is if we are not careful, we will get so comfortable being at First Apostolic Church. We will be so comfortable sitting in my exact same spot in the same pew that I sit. I'm not preaching against that this morning. I'm just trying to bring our awareness to something today. We will get so comfortable with the fact that this is my seat, this is where I sit and I want to be right here and I feel comfortable here and no one can bother me here and I may worship I may not but I'm, I'm happy being here and I'm comfortable. I, I, want to, I want to declare this morning in the spirit of God today we need to be just a little less comfortable at church. And I'm not talking about the pews. Uh, that, that shouldn't. If, if we can't worship God with padded pews or wooden pews, we don't need any pews. We need to stand like they did in Israel. But we need to understand today, it's not about the seat. It's about the intention. It's not about the location in the building. It's about the God of the building. And we need to not get so comfortable today that I forget why I'm here. That's the danger. That's the danger of being at ease in Zion because being at ease means I'm not even making a noise. This is an apostolic church. It's not supposed to be quiet. When did having a Pentecostal experience come with no noise? Because if you pull out the book of Acts chapter 2, you find that there was a noise. <clears throat> I realize today, I realize today, and I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to, to be unkind, I realize today that people worship God in different ways. That is not my intention today. I'm not talking about that. If you're worshiping God in your way, that's fine, but your way has to somehow comply with the Bible definition of what worship is. Or you're not worshiping. Let, let me break that down a little bit. I'm not trying to be rude this morning, but my job is to deliver the mail. 
And I'm going to make sure when I leave here and I lay my head on my pillow tonight that I've done God's job as he has asked me to do. That's my job, okay? So I'm, I'm not trying to be rude this morning. But according to the Bible definition of worship, you can lift your hands, you can run, you can march, you can leap, if you're physically able to do so, you can cry, you can shout, you can talk. I know sometimes he doesn't come into thunder, sometimes it's a still small voice. But there's still a voice. What you cannot do, according to the Bible definition of worship, what are you doing, Brother Mason? I'm worshiping. Are you sure? Yeah, this is just how I worship. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to be rude. I promise you. My job is not to be rude. But I'm not a hireling. I'm not the pastor either, so he can clean it up when he gets home. But the Bible has specific definitions of what worship is. And if we are going to declare that we're worshiping, we have to do something that is in alignment with what those definitions are. Now, some people, some people, excuse me while I get a drink of water. Some people will say, Brother Mason, I'm shy. And I just don't react that way emotionally. I respect that. Because there's a couple of things you can do there. First of all, I've seen a whole lot of shy people make a whole lot of loud noise in the presence of God. But that's beside the point. Let's go with that for just a moment. Let's say that you're shy and that you, you, you just don't respond emotionally that way. Well, I'll tell you what you can do. You can lift your hands. Because that doesn't require any attention to you. All right, I, I could go with that. I'm not the judge, but I could go with that. But let's take this shy thing just a little bit further for clarification. And I know I'm not really shy. I get that. All right, I, I, I'll be transparent with you this morning. I, I, there's not much I'm shy about. Sometimes that's good, sometimes that's really bad. I know that. But I, I believe that there are a few people here this morning that may be a little bit more reserved than I am that might agree with me whenever I say, when I look at the animal kingdom, Bishop, snake's not my favorite. I know God created it. I plan on asking him when I get to heaven why. I'd like to understand it a little bit better. But uh, while I'm here in, in robed in flesh and breathing among him, I, it's just not my favorite. I just don't like him. Now, when I see the snake behind the glass, I'm intrigued. I, I admit. I don't know if it's Genesis chapter 3 coming out or what, but I, I'm intrigued by it. And, and I, like, I like to look from a distance, as long as there's about a three-inch glass with some security sensors on there that tells everybody if he's getting loose or not. From a distance at a zoo in a controlled environment, I don't mind to look at the big guys. I don't mind. But whenever I'm mowing the yard and one pokes his head around the corner, I get spiritual real fast. I think the Holy Ghost is just about to fall. I will demonstrate for you a few times that that has happened to me, especially growing up in western Kentucky. Got timber rattlesnakes down there. And uh, there, there were plenty of times that uh, I just about stumbled upon a, 
a snake, Brother Mike, because I, I like to be out in the woods a lot. I had a motorcycle as a kid, and I used to ride that thing all over the place. And, whew, snakes everywhere. Bishop, you put me in a, in a location where <clears throat> I don't know he's there. I, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. <laughs> I don't know he's there. And then somehow something happens that it gets my... <laughs> I don't know who's more scared at that moment, me or the snake. <clears throat> my dad, some of you know my dad. He's, a, he's never been a small guy. And he's never been a runner. He, he ran in the military because they made him, but he, he's just not, not built or equipped for running. He doesn't like running. And I remember <laughs> as a kid, he had a bulldozer. It was, it was an old 1960s model and had a hole in the dash. thing had set over the winter, early spring, he goes out and starts the bulldozer up, fire it up, see if she's working or not, so he could do some work. He, he sits down in that seat, and he looks up in that hole in the dash. There's two eyes and a tongue just staring at him. He leapfrogs off that bulldozer and running through the field. I don't like them. They spook me. If I've got a nice sharpened hoe in my hand, I'll go to battle. I don't like him. And if I don't have a hoe, I'm running. I, I, I'm getting away. What's your point this morning, Brother Mason? My point is, is that has nothing to do with me being uh, 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 having a lack of shyness in my life. It has to do with me understanding the, the parameters of what I will and will not do. And what I won't do is get close to him. Are you following me? So I am in that moment. All reservation is lost. That's a snake! All right? People get the wrong idea about Pentecostals whenever they call us snake handlers. They have no idea who they're talking to. like a little girl I don't like them now I, I believe this morning and if it's different don't come and tell me but I believe this morning that I am probably not the only one and I believe that there are some of you this morning that given the right conditions and the same circumstances some of you macho men out there this morning you'd scream like a little sissy too I could see it written all over your you got sissy written on your forehead right now just thinking about you, yeah, huh? House will be burned down. <laughs> He's taking it another step. The fireman's going to burn down the house. <laughs> Lord, it's getting bad in here. All right? So if you follow what I'm saying this morning, reservation is sometimes self-imposed. And what I'm trying to do is bring to us an awareness that, this morning that when we get into the house of God, what God's expectations of us are at that moment is to provide unto Him our feeling of His worth. So when you come to church tonight, what I want you to do is whenever we get ready to start the service, I want you to think to yourself, how much is God worth to me? Because that's what worship is. Worth. The literal translation would be worth-ship. How much is he worth? I, what I demonstrate to him tells him what I think of him. And Amos is saying, Woe unto them that are at ease in Zion. Because those that are at ease in Zion, those that are quiet, all right? Listen to me. Again, not trying to be rude. Those that are quiet, those that are, that, that are, are, are comfortable in the house of God. Zion is symbolic of the church. All right? Woe unto them that are at ease or comfortable or quiet in the church could be a way of stating that verse in our modern-day thinking. We cannot afford today to be present in the building without making a sound. God needs our worship. Now, I understand, with all of that said, my volume and your volume still may be different. I'm not judging the volume. 
What I'm saying today by the word of God is a judgment of the action. There has to be an action to get out of the comfort zone, to get out of the, of the, the ease zone. There has to be an action. Listen to me this morning. You are not so mature that you can't worship. Now, I say this with all the respect and love that is within me this morning, but there are some of you today that I remember what you did when you first came to church. I got video of it. There's proof. I'll just leave that one alone. Recently, I don't remember if it was a Sunday night or a Wednesday night. Recently, it was a church service, <clears throat> relatively quiet, non-committal, little worship here, little worship there. And Bishop, on the dismissal, amen, the volume in this sanctuary went up about 60 decibels. There was no one on musical instruments. No one had a microphone. There was no one up here stage front and center talking. These lights were off. That volume was coming from, guess who? You. We were fellowshipping. We were talking. We were shaking hands kissing babies, hugging each other, all good stuff, all right stuff, nothing wrong with it, but l give me enough latitude this morning to make this statement if you would, if we can make more noise fellowshipping with each other than we do worshiping him, we've got a problem. There is a difference in being in the church, at the church, than being in the church. I need to be in the church. I can be at the church. And it means no more to me than what Mount Gerizim did to the Samaritans. You know, I, I used to think, I used to think the reason why people didn't like Bible study night was because we didn't shout much. Now, when it's not Bible study night, we don't shout much. So I don't think it had to do with the shouting. We need to get our voice back. We need to reclaim our victory. We need, if you'll stand with me this morning, we need to get our passion back. When was the last time you came to church not thinking about what was happening afterwards, but thinking about all the good things God was going to do while you were there? We need to get our worship back. We need to get back in the church and not just be at the church because, ladies and gentlemen, understand me clearly this morning, you can backslide on an apostolic church pew. You can be at the church, and if the church is not in you, then it's meaningless to you. We have to keep the right focus in front of us. Or we'll find ourselves going through an emotional disturbance in life. And we'll use that as a means to sit on the pew and not make a noise. I need to worship God just as loud and as much as I would run from that snake. Why don't you lift your hands with me right now and let's just love the Lord together. Jesus, I love you today. God, I magnify you today.
In all of the circumstances of life, God, I've got a haven right here. I've got a Shiloh of rest. I've got a place of refuge. I've got the city of God that I can come to and hear and that I can lift my voice and declare unto you that I have victory today by faith in Jesus' name. Oh, I love you, Jesus. That's it. Let's lift our voice to him right now. God, I love you. He's not done with us. He's not finished with us. We're still a work in progress from the front to the back. And in that process, God, I'm going to praise you. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost now. I'm going to praise you, Lord. God, I magnify you today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, I magnify you, Lord. Because, God, you're worthy. God, I don't deserve it, but thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. God, I messed up, Lord, yesterday. Thank you for your grace. I tripped and fell yesterday, but, God, I'm getting back up again. Thank you for your grace. I worship you today. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, you're worthy. In Amos, I close with this this morning. In Amos chapter 6, the writing in the original text, I told you that, that uh, the, the Hebrew translation of the word ease, what it meant. But in the phrase, woe unto them that are ease in Zion, it starts with the phrasing of this word, hasha ananim, which means by interpretation, who dwell at ease. We've already comfort, co- covered that. But it also means, Bishop, who confidently lean here's the danger this is this is really what i want to get across to you this morning here is the danger of being at the church and not in the church because the samaritans leaned on gerizim for gerizim's sake let me reword that into to to different writing They leaned on Zion for Zion's sake. It didn't have to do with God. It had to do with the ritual. In our modern day, it would be no different than us thinking that we're saved just because we come to church. It's important that we come to church. Bishop over the years has drilled that into us from the writings of the Hebrews in New Testament. It's important to be here. I'm not taking away from that this morning, but being here does not save me. Being here allows me an opportunity to be saved. So while I'm here, I've got to do more than just be present in the body. I can't confidently lean on myself and say, well, I'm here, but I don't need this. So I'm going to lean on my own understanding. I'm going to lean, I'm going to lean on myself. Or I'm going to lean on the world. Or I'm going to lean on my family. Or I'm going to lean on, on my spouse or whatever. All of those things, yourself, your spouse, your friends, your family, the world, they'll let you down. Maybe not on purpose, but we're human. But if we'll lean on God and we'll develop a relationship with Jesus Christ and we can be in the church, not just at it, then we're going to get closer to God. That's what he's looking for. One more time, let's lift our hands and thank him this morning for the opportunity to be in his presence today. Jesus, I magnify you. Jesus, I magnify you.
Let's close with some worship right now. Jesus, I love you. God, I praise you today. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I praise you because you're the Alpha and Omega. I praise you because you're the beginning and the end. Lord, as we depart from the church in this atmosphere today, let the Holy Ghost go with us. Be with us tonight as we return at the appointed time. I pray, God, a baptism of your anointing would touch Brother Malone tonight as he ministers the Word of God. Help us in worship today. Help us to be mindful of your spirit throughout this day because it is the Sabbath. Help us to keep it, God. Lord, we will not fail to praise you and give you glory and honor for it today. And the church said amen. Don't forget our announcements this morning. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.